Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Boehm, your host. About five years ago, right before I was going to embark on the Year to Live project, I hired a financial coach because I was making no income at the time, but did have a payout from my business. And I was trying to budget and forecast and do all this, like, how do I live for a year while doing all this wild, crazy shit and not really work? And I hired a woman named Joetta Johnson, and she dubbed herself the Priestess of Finance. And here we are five years later, full circle again. I'm sitting down with Joetta and asking her some questions that I know you're going to love about money, about resentment with money, about the money story, about our relationship with money, about how shame plays a huge role with money around debt. There's so many gems in this conversation. So whether you are a billionaire listening to this from your private jet or you've just been laid off and you're wondering how the hell are you going to climb out of debt or work through your savings? I know you're going to get a ton of gems out of this. So please give it an honest listen. Ladies and gentlemen, Joetta Johnson, the priestess of finance. Joetta, thank you so much for joining the Uncivilized podcast. It is a pleasure. People don't know that we actually know each other, but it's an absolute pleasure to see you again and, uh, and to be under your tutelage, which I'm going to consider myself for the next 50 minutes. For people who don't know who you are, would you mind dropping us like a quick, quick and dirty elevator pitch or, or who you are, what you do in the world? Yeah, definitely. It's amazing to be here. So thank you for the invitation. And Pleasure. my company is the Priestess of Finance. And so I'm a financial coach and I work with people on business finances, personal finances and mindset as well to help them overcome their financial barriers and to up-level their financial success. Ooh, I love it. Why did you choose the word priestess? Because I think when I think of, you know, I used to have a CPA and they most certainly did not use that title. So, <laughs> so please yeah, it's not bit. very common in the financial <laughs> world, we can say. Yeah. I, I am actually an ordained high priestess Get so out. I did go through an ordination process of 13, 13 months no kidding. to become initiated as a high priestess. And the reason why I blended them together, priestess and finance, yeah. is because it really brings in the intangible side of the wealth equation. Mm. And also in, you know, back in the day of priestesses, when they were more common in the world, they had a lot to do with stewardship of resources. Ooh, they were caretakers of resources and funded, you know, various people in the world to carry out, you know, kind of messages of abundance and connection to the intangible world. Beautiful. I, I, I have so many questions. 
Uh, I'd love to dive into the intangible in a second, but a word that you used caught my brain. Would you mind expanding a little bit upon the word stewardship and how it relates to money? I think for a lot of people listening, that's going to be a new uh, correlation for them. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think in the bigger picture of what I'm teaching is about stewardship of resources. So okay. we, we can relate to it usually on a larger scale of the planet and the planet's resources. And so resources are, are valuable, but do we really value them? And I think working with money, because money is a resource, it has ebbs and it has flow, right? There are cycles of contraction and cycles of expansion, but how are we caretaking the resources that we have? How conscious and intentional are we with those resources? Because when we learn that and we learn how to do that with money, we're more able to see the relationship to the planet. And what's happening on the planet is you know, a consumption of resources. Mm. And it's, it's our human nature to consume, but right. we're not necessarily conscious about the impact on the future. So I believe working with money, you know, as a steward, like how much do we care about the resources that we have and the decisions we make with money? Mm. And so being able to, to hold that, like we're caretaking the resources that we have. And, you know, what does that mean in, our, in the scope of our life? And I think it's a really nice orientation because it brings it out of the box of just like, I need to make more and where am I going to spend it? <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I, I remember the statement, money doesn't fix money problems. And I also remember when you and I first worked together, I think like the first three sessions, I thought we haven't talked about money yet. We haven't talked about numbers yet. You were asking me my story, what I first remember about money, my first uh, interactions with it and how that felt. How come you approach money from that point as opposed to like dollars and cents right up front? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. And I love speaking about this because it really speaks to my own experience and journey with money because I went to school for business and accounting and I got out with an, a degree in business and accounting and I was working in high level corporate environments with millions and millions of dollars and I was really good and successful at that in the world but yet my personal finances were a mess mm -hmm. and I didn't understand why. Mm -hmm. So I had to go on a quest to understand why, if I'm so good at this money thing, at least in the realm of business, why is it so difficult to apply on a personal level? Yeah. And really what I came to is it's about our money psychology. And if we don't shift that, if we only look like people will come to me and say like, I just need a budget and that's going to fix everything. And I say, no, <laughs> it's not going to fix everything because I knew how to budget really, really well, but I couldn't do it for myself because I had certain patterns and habits and thought patterns and beliefs that were preventing me from implementing the knowledge that I already had. Mm. So when these things live inside of our subconscious mind, that is really influenced when we're a very small child, mm -hmm. then we can learn all the practical 
knowledge in the world, but we can't turn it into wisdom. We can't like integrate it, embody it and live it mm. in the world because of these psychological challenges in, right. in our mindsets and in our belief system. Yeah, it makes total sense. It's like the, the guy that knows everything about fitness, but is out of shape, right? And can yeah. write brilliant workouts for everybody else, but just like, nah, I just have a motivation issue. Like, okay, you have a story issue. When, may I ask you personally, what was the first step you had to do uh, on your own money quest or money journey? The first step I had to take was to one, recognize the challenges that I was going through with money. So one of my big challenges, one of my big initiation points that really was a life changer was filing bankruptcy. Oh, wow. And so that, that was, you know, one of these low points, one of these bottoms in my life that I really was like, wow, like, how could this possibly be happening? And before that point, I had thought a lot of my money challenges were somehow like, you know, the universe just didn't have my back <laughs> for whatever reason. I was just like, I just keep getting challenges. And and so that bankruptcy really forced me to look at like what's really going on. And so then I, on the quest, I started to study, mm. study a lot of books, a lot of teachings around, you know, the psychology of wealth and started to dig deep into my own beliefs. Mm. And, you know, that was a step, that was a huge step, but also, you know, I went through Debtors Anonymous mm which is a 12 step program. And that really gets into deep territory of, of the mind, hmm. um, which is really, um, really, really helpful and supportive. And so those were some of the big things I started to do. Beautiful. Joda, for someone who's like, okay, awesome. Step one, wh what's the, the best book or the most, it, the most commonly referred book that you, God, that was a terrible sentence. What is the book that you send people most who are starting their money journey? The Energy of Money. Okay. It's one of my, it's one of my go-tos because she talks about this, but she talks about many different components of money. Yeah. Some of it is about, you know, intention and vision. Like what is your, your vision of mm. your life and your life with money in the future? But she talks about, uh, her name is Maria Nemeth and she talks about money psychology, money beliefs. So it's a very well-rounded book. Beautiful. Yeah. In, your, in your personal experience, and I know this may be a totally loaded question, what's the number one or most consistent block in the money story that you see people having, or is there one? Well, I look to root, root belief systems, you know, so root belief systems are things like I am not enough or there is not enough. Mm. So on certain levels, we have areas where it feels like there, there's not enough, not enough time, not enough money, not enough for my needs, not enough for my desires. It's, so it's usually going to boil down to some version of that, mm. okay. right? Like there is not enough. So when I'm working with people, we're really going into like, how does that play out in one's life? How does it play out in their 
um, thinking patterns because the way think people think and what they say are all clues to what's really going on with their beliefs in the background because the beliefs are like the operating system you know right. in the mind it's just like on autopilot and people mm -hmm. don't even realize this and you have to guide them to the point where they say it out loud because i imagine most people would just say like no i'm just not good with money or i just i just unlucky with money or money it's just not my gift and is it then your job to search further back down the consciousness stream to the like, oh, I'm not enough. That's really what we're talking about here. And money is just the expression. The lack of money is just the expression of that thought. Well, yes, I do that with some people. Some people I don't even need to because we work with where the person is at. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they believe that they're just not good with money, we actually go into really understanding like what does that really mean like some people will think i'm not good at math so of course mm -hmm. i'm not good at money which really they're not the same thing right <laughs> all. So we kind of break these ideas down to like is it true is it a hundred percent true across the board like what what has influenced this belief? Usually it's their experiences in life that have given them the message. Like some teacher along the way said like, you're not even good at math. And so that person just takes it on. Like, I'm not good at math. I can't do money. When that isn't true, we give them very um, clear practices. Right. Like, okay, we're gonna practice. Like, are you really not good at money? Yeah. And then, and then going through exercises, like, you know, a tracking, a tracking process mm -hmm. of your finances. Mm -hmm. You know, you begin to see like, well, what are your gifts with money? Where are you good? Where are you mm -hmm. not good? Where do you need to grow? Right. Beautiful. I really appreciate that. I think looking at it holistically is something a lot of people probably don't do. It's just boiled down to that simple sentence. Like, I'm not good at X. I, I would imagine, too, just to pontificate that you don't have to be really good at math. This is addition and subtraction, most likely. And I do all of my financial stuff on a calculator. Like, my brain, I can push buttons, and that seems to everything else seems to take care of itself. Do you find specifically that there's, again, I'm going to ask you super loaded questions, that men and women have a different set of challenges when it comes to money or is there, or are the challenges more universal? I think some of the challenges are universal and some of them are specific to like masculine and feminine or, you know, yang and yin mm -hmm. because these are energies that people carry so not all men carry a strong masculine energy or not all women carry a feminine energy mm -hmm. and so we're living in a paradigm of kind of breaking those things down but one thing i really see with men is that you know there's that men from my experience of them tend to be more like provider protector based mm -hmm. right and they they've had a tendency in our culture especially in western culture to be that provider right mm -hmm. maybe have stronger earning power than right. the feminine this isn't always the case but there can be a lot of responsibility and pressure 
that men feel around money and what they have to do to provide. Mm. And they take this all on and they can build a lot of resentment. Oh, and so wow. we worked with a lot of couples, tons of couples and tons of guys around unpacking that, understanding that, yeah. that provider protector role and what does it mean and where are their resentments and working to clear those resentments and what is really appropriate for that man to feel in his power mm-hmm. with money. And with women, they, you know, sometimes have different priorities. It hasn't necessarily been that women were, you know, super driven to be high income earners that that's changing, mm-hmm. right? I'm pretty driven to be a high income earner, but it's coming more from an experiential standpoint of like, what kind of experiences is that going to give me mm. in my life and in the world? Beautiful. And your in your opinion, what is the opposite of resentment for guys who feel resentment? What are they working towards? Because I imagine the responsibility and the weight per se still stays there. It's like, hey, I, I have three kids and I have a partner who may be working part-time because the other job is the three kids. Uh, how do they, what do they transition into out of resentment? I would say purpose. Okay. You know, they feel more purpose in what they're doing and where there are resentments, you know, when a, when a man has an ability to communicate around those resentments mm-hmm. and clear them and also look at how they have contributed individually to those pieces of resentment, because we always have an individual part sure. in our resentments. And so when I'm working with guys around resentments or people in general, it's like looking at like, well, what is your part in the resentment? And then looking at the bigger picture, which is kind of like the purpose, like the Mm. purpose of doing what you're doing and, you know, how important is that to the person? So they're conscious of it and not just doing it in an autopilot kind of way, because I think this can happen autopilot of like the culture and, what men are supposed to do and how much they're supposed to earn and how they're supposed to take care of others. And they just do this automatically without necessarily being conscious about like, is, is this what I really want to be doing? Mm. Does this feel purposeful to me? Does it feel important to me? Or am I doing it out of a belief that this is what I have to do? Because these are the messages I received from my family, from society, And so we have to, what I do with people a lot is break down these beliefs, right? Right. Like break them, break them, break them down until they're these like core, like, okay, what is really the core of, of this belief and, and becoming conscious of what we're carrying around inside of us that causes us to act and behave in certain ways that may not necessarily be um, what our intentions are. Mm. So where there's a disconnect or there, the intention and the story are out of integrity with each other. Is that really what you're looking for? Yeah. And so for, for guys who just heard that, like, cool, I can get this down to this core belief that, uh, just to make something up, money is the root of all evil. Cause I heard that growing up all the time and my family was poor and now I have this great ability to make money. And then what do you know, immediately, it disappears because I buy shit. 
So he's he's got this this belief that it's the root of all evil, and he knows that. How do you help someone who knows it but goes, "Cool, now what do I do? What's what's I get it. I I see the problem, but I I can't seem to reach in my stomach, pull that belief, and throw it out the window and forget about it." I can consciously tell myself like money is the root of all good. Money is the root of all good, but shit, I just spent half a million dollars on a brand new car when I made, you know, 501,000. What do, what do these guys do? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a long list question. Sorry. <laughs> it's awesome. I loved it. Yeah. So one is one powerful thing that I really learned and recognized because we are very independent, especially in the Western world, mm -hmm. and like to think that we can do everything by ourselves. Heck and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> men even more so. Especially, yeah. <laughs> Women oh, know that lone wolf paradigm. Yeah. Right, more collectively, but men, it's more challenging to come, you know, up against our own personal limitations. And so I, I find that having someone that helps you because looking at your own belief system is trying to look at your, your eye without a mirror. Like you mm -hmm. cannot look at your eye without a mirror. Right. And so working with a mentor, a coach, or somebody that helps you break down these belief systems is very helpful because you're inside your belief system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's very difficult to see what is the belief system. You might be able to get to, you know, surface levels of it. Yeah. Like money is the root of all evil, but there's more going on. So what I do is I look at people's behaviors mm -hmm. and where they get really challenge so if money is the root of all evil i've worked with clients for sure who have had this i remember a guy who was like a a day trader and he was learning day trading when i was working with him and he had this idea because his father was you know a doctor and basically never home mm. because he was working all of the time and kind of obsessed with money and so this guy also being a buddhist um, not to say that all Buddhists believe that money is the root of all evil, but, you know, it's a material kind of thing. And so sure. he was like, you know, money is the root of all evil. And so we would break it down. Like, what does it really mean? And how was it preventing him from actually making a really solid income? And he had to take risks. So in order to transform a belief system, you have to take risks that defy the belief system because without a new experience you cannot just override a belief system by doing affirmations right i believe in affirmations as a way to start the process sure but you kind of have to take a lot of risk to challenge like if money is the root of all evil what does that really mean and, and how does it play out in the person's life they may need to charge more that's some of the, the risks that I would do with people like, okay, like, what is it like to charge more? What is it like to even think about charging more? What is your maximum that you would actually be able to earn or charge without starting to feel like I'm an evil person? Right. And then we, we hit that tipping point and like, all right, that's our goal. That's what we're going for. Because we have to find ways to challenge the belief system where we can take action to have that new experience. And then that gives us kind of new information like, oh, my belief isn't true 100% of the time because I just had this different experience.
I love it. I always challenge clients with, is it true? If so, it's got to be provable. So mm -hmm. show me there. If I can present one instance, that's a counter to what you're saying here, then it's not true, right? There's variance here. There's an opening. I love that. Joda, so many people right now are just in tight or uh, contracted or fearful, a fearful financial place. Even if they work for themselves, even if they're not like worried about being laid off, it just feels like the whole economy is a fearful place right now with COVID. How do you help clients or what advice would you give to people on reframing that a little bit uh, so that so that they can they can actually expand into the opportunities that are present right now. Yeah, that's great. Well, I like to look at fear. You know, there's an acronym out there. I kind of think it's, it comes from the 12 step world and it's false evidence appearing real. Mm -hmm. So when we're in a state of fear, usually we can feel it, right? Our emotions indicate like we're in fear. And so we have to identify like, what is the fear really about? You know, so that's one of the things I really break down when I'm working with a client, like what are the fears specifically? Mm. So if you're in a contraction phase, which the nature of money is contraction and expansion, but contraction tends to um, cause people to fear a lot more Mm -hmm. Right. Because the fear is there is not going to be enough. So when we talk about those root belief systems, there is not enough. There will not be enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we go into, all right, like what, what is the fear really saying that you will never be able to work again? That money will never return. Mm -hmm. Is that forever and ever? Right. Has that been your experience in your life that it will never return or do these things happen in cycles or phases? And so, you know, with the priestess kind of perspective, because money is a resource, mm -hmm. it's like the resources on the planet. So if I look outside and I see a tree and right now in Ashland, Oregon, it is winter and there are no leaves on the tree. Do I believe that the leaves will never come back? Mm. No because I know nature happens in cycles, so it will come back. But what do I do in the winter when there are no leaves on the tree? Do I freak out? And that, that is really our survival-based brain, mm -hmm. right? There were times where we were afraid that there would not be enough food and we had to conserve through the winter time. We've lost touch with that in our world of, you know, being able to go to the store and get whatever we want, get on Amazon, you know, at the click of a button or with Alexa, you know, like, buy me this thing right now. We're so, like, we want it like right now, give it to me now. Yeah. That's how we're wired now, but we still have a survival based brain. So we go into contraction, mm -hmm. which is a limitation around the resource. And then we say, oh my God, it's never going to come back. It's never going to come back. And what does this mean? I'm going to you know, not be able to provide for my family. I'm not going to be able to have what I want. So we go, we have to be able to go into limitation. And I think limitation in going into it is very powerful. And, you know, even I was just, I was just listening to a really great podcast with this guy, David Goggins, and he runs like, you know, 
hundred mile races. And he puts himself into positions of extreme challenge so he can train his mind to be in the challenge because that is how he gets really resourceful. Mm. And when it comes to money and when we're in extreme challenge, are we leveraging the challenge to get more creative, more resourceful, think of new options. Mm. So, you know, if we're just living in the state of fear, we're actually not taking action in order to be able to leverage the challenge, because what if, you know, there's reason for a contraction mm. in our life that causes us to change in ways that we wouldn't otherwise change. Mm. So it's really looking for like, you know, what is being asked for me to change? Is it to reduce my spending or is it to start my own business? Is it to take more risk with my income? Is it to be more in my purpose? Or is it really asking me like, I need to chill out on the spending? Mm. Or, you know, or like, like my mentor has this really great analogy that in, in times of contraction, it's like a swimming pool and you don't really see the cracks in the foundation until the pool is drained. Uh, so contraction kind of takes away the excess yeah. that we're so easily just spending to right. say like, what's really going on in your relationship to money that needs to change. And this is imperative. And our ability to look at these things by ourselves again is, you know, kind of kind of limited because it's helpful to have outside reflection of where is that, where is the change really needed? Hey folks, I hope you're loving this episode with Joetta. I want to take a moment and express my gratitude to you. I have had this podcast for a year and a half now, and it has grown and grown and grown because amazing people like you share the episodes, you leave positive reviews, and you really inspire me to keep bringing on more and more interesting guests. So thank you. I really, really appreciate you. If you would, if you haven't, please go to Apple, to iTunes, to Spotify, whatever you're listening to this on. And if you're getting value out of this podcast, please leave a positive review. I know it sounds trite, but it really does help boost the awareness of the podcast and get it in front of more people's eyes. All right, back to Joetta. It feels like it's a more powerful view and a more proactive view and really a more honest view because when any relationship is in the new stage or a honeymoon stage or even thriving, I think it is oftentimes easy to miss the little, the little like, oop, that's going to grow into resentment in the future. Like the little piece of sand in the back of your shoe. It's like, no, but we're running these great miles. It's all good. When, when you speak of the relationship with money, I would love for you to kind of tease out that term because I think most people just view money as this thing. And it's, they either have it at the moment or they don't have it at the moment, but can you really unpack a bit this idea of being in relationship with money? Definitely. Well, money we're using all day, every day. And there's many different. (laughs) I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't buy anything today. (laughs) (laughs) We are interacting with it on some level every day. Right, because our our world is based upon money. The highest, you know, most prevalent thing talked about across the planet everywhere is about money. 
Mm. What is the state of the economy? Are we going into a recession? How, what's the unemployment rate? So, you know, we're inundated. Where's the stock market? Where's the Dow Jones? Like, it's just like inundated with all these like factors about where things are in our relationship to money on a grander scale, right? So we're influenced by this, whether we know it or not. Okay. These ideas, these beliefs that are, you know, kind of presented to us. And so we're influenced in that way, but we're also influenced on an individual level of how we're spending, how we're saving, how we're earning, how we're investing, how we're debting, right? And so the relationship with those five areas mm-hmm. um, tells us a lot about our relationship with money. Like, how do we save? Do we save? How much do we save? Mm-hmm. Why do we save? Why do we not save? Mm-hmm. Why do we debt? Why do we get into debt and can't get out of debt? Why do we earn what we earn and can we earn more? Do we earn less? Like, do we influence that? So these are all components of that relationship to money. We are having a relationship with it all the time. We're thinking about it. I guarantee at least everybody probably has one thought a day about money. So it's like ever present, right? Sex and money are the the two most charged topics for people and especially people in relationships. Mm. So not only is it impacting us, ourselves and our relationship with money, but our relationship with others. People get into fights about money. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I remember teaching a class. It was people who were interested in uh, quitting drinking and we were, we just, because of their feedbacks, like, oh, let's do one of these sessions about money and just talk, it was myself and another, uh, another coach. So it was on entrepreneurship and et cetera. And it was so interesting how much shame there was and how secretive people were. Uh, I, I literally joked with people, I know you said sex and money, of how many of you have had sex on a first date, you know, after knowing someone for an hour. And most of the hands went up. I said, cool, how many of you have like put out your, your checking account and your savings information and your finances on a first date? And zero hands went up. So it was really interesting that we were that guarded around, uh, around our finances. Back to the idea of shame, so many people have money that they inherited and are ashamed of that, made money and lost it and are ashamed of it. It seems like shame is just this wonderful pervasive thing that comes and kind of fucks us all over the place uh, and not in, in, the, in a good way. How do you help people see through, acknowledge, or work with shame that they have around money? I know it's I just love- a question. And this is like one of my favorite topics because it's shame is just, it's huge. It's huge in the relationship with money. And I, I loved what you just said because you said wonderful. Mm. And, and I don't think we associate wonderful and shame together, but really shame is a teacher to tell us where we are holding ideas about ourselves that we are not enough. So that root belief, right? I am not enough. Well, shame is a belief that we are not enough and there's nothing we can do about it, Ooh. right? Guilt is we've done something wrong right. and we feel bad about it. 
shame is like this is inherent to the core of who we are and there's nothing we can do so it's a very hopeless kind of feeling yeah shame and you know when i'm working with people i'm i'm like a missile seeking that shit out like where <laughs> is the because i know it is the most transformative area mm. because you you unpack the shame with somebody like i mean i could think of a million examples and i'm like which is the best one yeah. <laughs> to talk about um but i i have a i have some clients i'm working with right now and the woman had a ton of shame about she took inherited money and paid off a hundred thousand dollars of debt mm-hmm. and and to use that money to pay off the debt mm-hmm. was so intense mm-hmm. for her and to you know just repeat this record player in her head like oh my god i can't believe that i just used all of that money to pay off debt and how mm-hmm. could we have possibly gotten into that much debt yeah. And then I worked with a man on his side of the equation and just his shame around it wasn't his money that paid off the debt. Oh. And so the shame that he carried around. And so they're just basically carrying this around. So every time they go to talk about money, it, it, they're both going into shame. They're not really talking about the, the root shame. And then they get into fights and then they can't talk about money. And this happens all the time in relationships. We're carrying around shame because we don't want other people to see the possibility that we are not enough. Mm -hmm. So we're always kind of protecting ourselves in all of these ways in the world around people not being able to see the shame that we have about ourselves and who we think we are. And so there's a lot of healing when you start to communicate about shame, like talking about where there is shame with others is one of the first steps. And it's a huge step that they do in um, 12 step programs because shame is like a root cause of addiction. Right. Right. It keeps everything in place. Sure. Jenna, when you have, when you're working with clients or if someone's interested in even diving into this a little bit themselves of like, where do I have shame around money? What are some of the questions that you're asking them or some of the things you're asking them to look into? Yeah. So I'm asking them to look into because typically when there is shame, either we are automatically going to certain things. So when I'm working with people with money, it's like, is there overspending? Like I, I was an overspender. I had compulsive spending going on. And so I had to look at that behavior. So first I'm looking at what are the behaviors that you don't like? Mm. Because those behaviors are indicators of where shame is. Okay. So if I'm looking at, you know, if there's, if there's debt or if there's spending or if there's certain things in life that you don't like that you've done about with money, like stealing something yeah. or, you know, it could be very small things. Like, you know, with one of my clients, like stealing a candy bar when you're young, we carry around those things until we have processed them and resolved them. So I'm looking for what are the behaviors? What are the things that you, you feel badly about that you don't want to tell anybody about that is hiding in the closet? So we kind of open the closet, what's hiding in the closet, and we can see it through our behaviors that we can't control. Right. which are compulsive or addictive behaviors. 
because those are trying to cover up the feelings of shame so i'm looking for those behaviors how is it playing out in the person's money story yeah brilliant i love the looking at looking at the behavior because that's the indicator and it's the like oh god i can't believe that happened again huh that sentence seems to be the, yeah, the stem of so much behavior. Would you speak a bit on, I know this is another massive topic. We'll just throw it at you on debt and people's relationship to debt. Uh, I, I remember reading a stat, I think this was even pre COVID that the average American was something like $2,500 in debt, personal debt. And that wasn't mortgage. That wasn't car. It was just that like, if they didn't, they were literally in the negative, how do you help people like, okay, I'm in debt, Joetta. I just called you. Where do I even start with this? Yeah. Well, debt is also another favorite topic. Of mine. <laughs> because Shame and debt. Inundated with the messages that we should be using debt, credit cards, you know, it's just like constant credit card offers. And so, you know, we're influenced by what's going on around us. And it's the message is that debt is okay. Yeah. You know, debt is good. Our whole credit system is based upon debt. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm working with somebody to get out of debt, one of the questions I've been really coming to, to ask a person is like, one, what level of commitment do you have to get out of debt? Are you 100% committed to getting out of debt? Like I had a person the other day say they were only 50% committed to getting out of debt. It's like, well, how much can I help a person get out of debt if they're not even committed to themselves to get out of debt? Yeah. So getting out of debt, one, it takes a commitment, Yeah. like anything. Um, two, it's also what level of debt are you comfortable with? Oh. This person said 35,000. Okay that was their comfort level. Yeah. Some people it might be zero. His partner was zero. Mm. She's zero, you know, she wants zero debt. Yeah. She's 100% committed. And so, you know, you kind of look at, wow, like how committed are you to get out of debt? Mm. What is your threshold? What comfort level are you okay with $5,000 of debt? Because until you change that comfort level, you won't get out of debt. You'll constantly, the operating system says, I'm okay with 5,000 of debt. So I'm going to repeat 5,000 of debt. Mm. So once a person is committed and wants to be at zero debt, yeah, or at least lower than where they are, we look at, you know, more practical action steps, which would be really tracking their their finances really looking at like well what am i spending where am i spending that is kind of like not really aligned with my intentions right, right. So we have to be clear about what our intentions are where our spending is how it relates to our income and are there their gaps mm -hmm. some people when i'm working with them i'm looking at their money behavior and what they're currently doing financially if they have a lot of debts, typically their spending will be over their income. For and sure. so it's like, yep, yeah. <laughs> some of it is like an equation, like, okay, it has to be lower than what you're making. Otherwise yeah. you're going to go into debt unless you have savings and you're using your savings, but you also need savings to get out of debt. Mm. This is a huge thing that I learned from my financial coach is like, without savings, you will never get out of debt because I was just say more about that, please. That's, that's intriguing to me. 
Yeah. So if you, if you're just living kind of like month to month with whatever income you have, let's say, you know, like I just drove to Utah and I had to get four tires replaced. You know, it's not inexpensive to get four tires replaced on a new car. So I was like, all right. And I had my, my savings, periodic savings, I call it, or it is called. And I had the money for the tires. So I go to the money, get the, the money for the tires and buy the tires, as opposed to what a lot of people will do is like, oh, I'll put it on a credit card and I'll worry about it later. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is a typically um, big life challenges. Like we'll put it on a credit card. I don't have the cash flow. I don't know how much money I even have. Oh, I'll put it on a credit card. I put everything on a credit card. I get miles for credit cards, yeah. right? Like people, they, they, we get so influenced. Like I get miles for credit cards. Well, if you don't put pay off the credit card, you actually end up paying more for the credit card than the miles you get yeah. from the credit card. The credit card companies are making money. Yeah. This is why they give these offers. So it's the understanding we're also influenced by this much larger societal influence around debt. Yeah. Brilliant. I think it, it's a big issue for people right now. And it's a big issue coupling with mental health. Or we have a lot of people who are uh, suicide numbers are going way up. Depression numbers are going way up. Addiction numbers are going way up. How would you help someone just reframe their understanding of, okay, I have debt and this is making me depressed. I have debt. This is making me really ill for lack of a better term. Is there a way to reframe it or is there a way to start the process of enlivening their mental or you know emotional state while also experiencing the debt? I know that's kind of another loaded question. Yeah, no, I think loaded questions are great because <laughs> all of them. Yeah. So it's interesting when you talk about it, I had a, a client and she was in Japan and there's a lot of, it's very common in Japan um, for men to commit suicide around financial challenges because it, it is so tied into um, the, I am not enough. I am not enough. And so if I don't have enough income, that means I am not enough. And so what, why is life worth living? Hmm. So, you know, these, these ideas, I, I like to look at them again as challenges, right? Challenges are here to, to grow us. And I look at people who have been faced, you know, with you know, really great challenges, far beyond money challenges, like, like another podcast I listened to, like Inky Johnson, and he lost the use of his arm and he was a football player. Um, kind of deemed to go into, you know, the big leagues and was not able to. And what he had to do with that challenge to uh, not go into a state of depression and suicide. Yeah. And so these challenges are here for us to overcome and we gain strength mm. from the challenge. So when we consciously go into, I'm not making enough money that does not have to do with, you know, your worth as an individual human being on this planet, yeah. but it is something that can be worked on and improved. Yeah. So any, like if someone has an overwhelming amount of debt, um, some say the, the thing that will resolve it is like a spiritual solution, like a relationship to something larger than ourselves. Mm. So, you know, when I'm working with people around these huge issues that arise, 
we look at what is the relationship to things that are larger than ourselves and do we have faith do we have trust in in getting help beyond our own patterns Mm. (laughs) right and when we get help and see the evidence of that help in our lives it gives us more hope about what is possible and also like our action takes us out of fear so when we can take small sustained consistent actions over time we begin to trust ourselves because typically with debt or things like this we have an inherent mistrust in ourselves and so we have to look at where are we out of integrity with ourselves and when we heal that integrity with ourselves life begins to change yeah Beautiful. And then we can leverage the challenge. So it's really looking at these things as like, I call them initiations Mm. or gateways, like initiation is growing into something that is difficult for us. And this changes us at the core of who we are. For sure. And it's, it's such a healthier way to view it. I think, okay, like we don't talk about initiation. This initiation could be a, another massive conversation, a, pod, a whole episode of we don't realize how often we're being initiated. And initiation, I, I love Francis Weller's description that it's like contained death. It's, it's death in a container. And it's going to be the death of the old patterns. It's going to be the death of the old thinking. It's going to be the death of the old belief system that God bless it. Uh, it's going to suck to go through. And yet on the other side, as you said, is the the breaking of a threshold or a breaking of a barrier. Joda, can you share just some positive stories of people you've worked with or or people that you know who have like kind of done this deep dive into money and what it's turned out to, to be on the other side? And I will asterisk this by, you know, I I'm, I've listened to so much in my life of, I wrote down, I'm going to make a million dollars on a post-it note and I shoved it in the drawer and then I did nothing. And then five years later, I got a check for a million dollars. And like that kind of shit makes me want to put my head through a wall. Yet, can you talk a bit about people who've done the work and what it looks like on passing through that initiatory threshold? Yeah, definitely. Well, I love that that idea because the person I was thinking about um, when you asked me the question is someone that I talked about who had the belief that I know money is the root of all evil. Mm. And so when I started working with him, he was about a million dollars in debt, (laughs) which is a hefty. (laughs) (laughs) The $9 on my credit card doesn't seem that big right now. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. So you know, we really, we worked on, on these beliefs. We worked some on the practical level, but really we worked mostly on what I call the money shadow, which is the money psychology and money beliefs and unconscious mind and unpack that baby in a really significant way. And he is someone who actually, you know, his testimonials on my, my website, he went from a million dollars in the negative to a million dollars in the positive. Wow. In and what so that's frame? huge. What's that? In what time frame? It was probably within a five-year time frame. Okay, beautiful. Yeah. And so now he's a, you know, a full-time day trader. 
-hmm. and has come leaps and bounds. He was a graphic designer when I started working with him. Okay. And so, you know, unpacking that money shadow area was huge, 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 because then he believed in his capacity to generate. Now, not everybody's story is about generating a million dollars or having a million dollars in assets. Yeah, maybe it's some people's, um, they're driven, they're driven to have that kind of a vision, right? Some people are not. I, I believe every person in, in their journey with money is, is needs enough to fulfill what they're doing here on the planet. For sure. Maybe for him, it's a million dollars. Maybe for others, it's not. It's like a hundred thousand a year or something, mm-hmm. right? It just is, isn't about making more is the way and the only way It is more about, you know, being in right relationship to money and generating, you know, what our own unique individual potential is. Yeah. Joda, do you think people, last couple of questions, do you think people have a a financial setting? And I asked this from reading that, like something absurd, like 98% of uh, lottery winners are either right where they were a year or two later, or even more in debt. And I view that as kind of a setting issue. Is that something that you you subscribe to as well? I do. Because I've seen it. And one of the questions I ask people is, what is the most you've ever made? And how did you feel when you were making it? And was it any different mm. than the way you currently feel? Or are you making the most you've ever made? And in looking at that set point, to break through the set point, really... I really love this saying by Neville Goddard, who's kind of a grandfather in the world of visioning. And he says, all success comes from consciousness. Mm. So our consciousness is holding the set point based upon the set of beliefs and just kind of what we've had exposure to in our life. And if we elevate or shift that consciousness, our set point goes up. And I've seen this in my own life and in my clients' lives of really working on, you know, shifting that set point, but it is a set point of what the unconscious mind is comfortable with. Yeah. Just like that, you know, what are we comfortable with debt wise? What are we comfortable with income wise? Mm. And where do we start to tip over and start to feel really uncomfortable? Yeah. I remember a, a conversation I had, this was years ago with a good friend of mine and we were both high level athletes at the time talking about how we had clients that we were training who were in the, you know, over per se 300 pounds and how interesting it was because they made so much money. And we said, you know, there's, if they drop below a million dollars a year, they'll stop their entire lives and be like, this is unacceptable. I'm going to do everything. I'll wake up at five and I'll change it. And he and I where I was like, if our body fat or our, our weight gets to a certain point where we don't weigh enough, we will like, fuck it. I'm getting up at five. I'm eating protein all day. I'll be working out twice a day. But he and I were both in debt at the time and saying, we're just super out of shape money-wise. So I love that comparison. Joetta, for people who are interested in finding out more about you, where you hang out, getting more of your information or contacting you or anything that you have coming up that you'd love to share, where can they do that? Yes. So Website is always the best place to find me at priestessoffinance.com. I have a really um, rocking Instagram that I give a lot, a lot, a lot of 
gems and teachings on that platform. I do have a 2021 program coming up, which is a series of 12 initiations Mm -hmm. over the year. So it's like going through these challenges and the challenges are what really help to transform the relationship to many. So on my website, um, there will be a page by the time this podcast is <laughs> out there. And um, also you can click discovery session on my website and that gets you 15 to 20 minutes with me. Beautiful. Live. Joda, what was the Instagram account? I don't think you named it. Priestess of Finance. Oh, Priestess of Finance. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I really appreciate your time, your energy, you coming on to share. I know this is going to be super valuable because I get a lot of money questions and I'm always like, I don't know, make more. But this is, <laughs> this is going to be very helpful. So thank you so much for joining us. And as I said, it's an absolute pleasure to see you again and have you on here. Thanks so much for having me, Trevor. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading. <laughs>